Everything that we own is depreciating in value. Even classic cars and our homes. I know what some of you are thinking. Oh, man. Come on, Carter. Hadn't you seen the housing market? This is crazy. It's crazy. It's going up every day. That thing's appreciating. Now, if you could build a brand new house today, brand spanking new, and over the next 50 years, you don't put a new roof on it, you don't paint it, uh, you don't replace any leaky pipes, you you don't do any maintenance to it, guess you think that house in 50 years is going to appreciate in value? They're going to, it's going to be rubble. The land might appreciate. You didn't, you don't own the land. (laughs) Right, that's the Lord's. But it, that's just the way it is. And Glenn mentioned at the beginning uh, going about the beach, and the beach just reminds us this uh, more and more of just this idea that weather is deteriorating our homes. We see it. That's why we have to get a new roof every 15, 20 years. If you go to the beach, anybody looking forward to going to the beach this summer? Some, somebody, yes, yes, come on. Yeah. You ever get like a new beach chair or a new beach umbrella? And you just love it. And then after like the second season, it's already starting to rust. Because the beach just escalates this this reality. And I always say the beach, salt always wins. Right? Salt always wins. It, It reminds us of something that is happening to everything we own, everything on planet Earth. Time is not on our side. Time is not on our side. In other words, as I like to say, Father Time is undefeated. Right? Father Time is undefeating. It will all pass away. It, 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 will, it will all one day go away. Time is fleeting. This world is fleeting. One day the car you own will be in the junkyard. The house that you live in will be torn down, completely flattened, and they'll build something else over it, a new home or a shopping center. And everything that you and I own will be in a landfill, and this old ticker will stop ticking, and to ash and dust I will return. Well, glory, hallelujah, welcome to church. (laughs) Right? Hey, I mentioned my name's Carter. So glad you're here. And, and if you're joining us online, great to, to be in your homes or wherever you're watching. Great to see so many of you here. That sounds a little depressing. And as depressing as it is, what I want to tell you this morning, by the end of our time to d- today, what I want to share with you is, is kind of something that, that counteracts this reality of time not being on our side, that Father Time is undefeated. That though time is not on our side, here's what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn that eternity is on our side. That because of Jesus, eternity is on our side. And the implications of that reality is because of what we believe about eternity, that we can look at this world in which Father Time kind of has this wear and tear on us and is weathering us and deteriorating this world we live in, and it's broken. We're going to see how it can begin to change how we view life in this world. Uh, We would all like to figure out a way to mitigate this reality, that time is on our side, to fix the, the world, to reverse that, to override it. Here's essentially what we want. We would like control. We would like control over this reality that time 
is not on our side. That's why we sell anti-aging cream. Right? <laughs> it's like we're like fighting Mother Nature. We're fighting Father Time. This idea that somehow we can reverse it, affects the effects of wear and tear of life. We can change what's, what, what's wrong with the world. And, and, and come on, this is, this is what we want to be true about God. This is what we want to be true about God. That he would not just be a God in control, but that he would be a God who takes control. Right? That's what we want. That he would not just be a God who is in control, but that he would be a God who takes control. And come on, if he has the power over death, he can do anything. If he can, if he can rise from the dead, he can fix all of our problems. If he is as powerful as the resurrection claims, why won't he take control? How many of us looked at the news last night or this morning and looked at Buffalo and said, why won't you just be a God who takes control? Come, Lord Jesus, take control. How many of us look at what's going on in the Ukraine and say, come, Lord Jesus, take control? How many of us look at, the, look at what's going on in our country and look at the, the financial pinch that we're all in and look at the hurt and the hate? And why, can't, why won't he just be a God that takes control? If you've got the power to overcome death, if the resurrection is real and you're really God and you really, really love me, God, why wouldn't you take control and fix this broken relationship with my adult child? Why wouldn't you take control and heal my marriage? Why, why wouldn't you take control and speak into my financial problems. You know I'm hurting, Lord. I mean, come on. Come on, God. You, you parted the Red Sea and raised the dead. You spoke and the world came into existence. So you could just manifest an anonymous check in my mailbox. Right? Signed, your friend G. You could do it. If you're really God, and if the power of the resurrection is real, and you've really defeated death, why won't you heal my loved one? You're, just take control. You could heal cancer. You could heal ALS. You could heal, heal Alzheimer's. You could heal heart disease. You could heal anything. Because we want to believe that. We can do a lot of damage when we start to believe it. When we start to believe that we can manipulate God to take control in our broken world. Is that the promise of the champion of heaven? That he'll just fix everything that goes wrong here? Or is the champion of heaven, does he promise something different? Philip Yancey is a, um, I don't know how many of you ever heard or, or know the name Philip Yancey. He's a great Christian author. Uh, how many of you ever read a book by Philip Yancey? Anybody read a Philip? He's a great, he's written like 20 books. What's So Amazing About Grace, um, The Jesus I Never Knew, uh, Where Is God in Disappointment? Gosh, what a great question, right? He's just, he's written, he's a prolific writer, and he just published his memoir um, that tells the story of his life. And in it, he tells the story of how his father died from polio 
when Philip was one year old, he was one, his brother was about three, so he and his dad grew up without a father. And it was, it was a hard life. But he learned that there was more to the story much later in life. When he went to college, he had a girl, got a girlfriend that would later become his wife, and they came home to visit one time. And, of course, you know, when you bring your girlfriend or boyfriend home for the first time, you know, everybody gets out the picture albums, right? Let me show you what they look like when they were a kid. And they're flipping through a picture album, and out falls out a faded article from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, because he grew up in Atlanta, about the story of his father's death. And it's a story that he's never heard of his church and his mother praying. It's the story of a faith healing that went wrong. His father did have polio, but his mother and the church that they were a part of began to believe that God was going to heal his father from polio. And against the advice of doctors, they removed his father from the iron lung that was helping him breathe and slowly recover from the disease. And at 20, 21 years old, hearing this story for the first time, it rocked his world. I, I just, I had this image of my father as this spiritual giant, this mythological creature. And then suddenly I found, I found out that these people made a terrible mistake. They, my life was defined by a theological error. <laughs> they, they decided they knew what God's will was more than God. They decided what God should do. Man, I, I can't get that line out of my head. My life was defined by a theological error. That's not helpful. It's not beneficial. Most importantly, it's not biblical. And it's not God's promise of the resurrection. And when we cling to a promise that is fabricated rather than faithful, we're in a dangerous position. And what I'm seeing so often now is Christians building their lives and building their faith on fabricated promises, on the belief that if, you know, if I just follow Jesus, he will protect me and nothing bad will happen to me and nothing bad will help to help happen to my family. He will bless us. He will guard over us because he's the Lord, our protector. Or if I just believe or I fabricate a belief, a promise that, that if I just trust in God, that he will prosper me. And that I will have, I will have riches. I, I will get, I will, I will be blessed financially. Some, some pastors even fabricate a promise that if you, if you give a lot, you'll get rich. That he will prosper me. Or I believe that if I follow Jesus and I'm faithful and I'm a good Christian and I'm a part of a good church, that nobody in church will ever hurt me. And the problem that happens when we build our faith and we build our lives and we construct our whole belief system on these fabricated promises that if we trust God that everything will just go well and it will all be butterflies and lollipops. 
then what happens when those promises start to crack and someone in church hurts you? Or you do everything right with your money and you go through some hard financial times and you don't get rich and you don't feel prosperous. Or you are faithful and you are genuine and you are obedient and you don't feel protected and somebody in your family gets sick or somebody in your family goes through a tragedy and all of a sudden we're seeing this happen so much in our country right now and so much with young Christians and they begin to deconstruct their faith because their faith was built on a promise that was fabricated, made up, imaginary, and not biblical, instead of a promise built on genuine, authentic faith. It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous to think God should do something different than what he's already done. Our promise our promise isn't about what, what God could do. Our hope is not in what God should do or could do. Our hope is in what God has already done. Our, our hope is not in what we think God should do or what God could do. And he can do anything he wants because he's God. Our hope is in what God has already done and the promise that he has already given us. And it is better than the fabricated promises we make up. No one, no one knew this better than the apostle Peter. Peter's such an interesting character. He's one of my favorites. He, he was kind of the, a ring leader among the disciples. If you read the story of Jesus' life and ministry in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see Peter right at the forefront. He's often the one that God would go to, to uh, that Jesus would go to, to have a conversation. He wasn't just in the 12. He was in like an inner circle. He almost always is the one to speak up first. You can just tell he's got leadership kind of, kind of just in his bones. And when Jesus ascends into heaven and he hands this over to these disciples and they kind of transition from being disciples to apostles, Peter's running point. I mean, he's the point man. He's the leader of the group in the birthing of the church. And, and Peter's, no one knew this idea of, of, this, of this tension between promises that we kind of make up or want to believe versus the real, what are the real genuine promises of God? Nobody knew it better than Peter. See, he had become something he never thought he'd be. He was a fisherman uh, who had become a follower of Jesus. And gosh, he thought that would just be the greatest thing ever. But all of a sudden, after the church is born and the Holy Spirit falls on these apostles and these early Christians, Peter becomes a healer. I, I mean, people are bringing the lame and the sick to Peter. And he's physically, literally healing them. And then this is just bananas. I mean, this doesn't even happen with Jesus. The Spirit of God is so powerful on Peter that Luke writes in Acts that people were bringing the sick and the lame on their mats in the path that Peter was walking in hopes that Peter's shadow would fall on them because they would be healed. That, that's how powerful God was on him. So Peter was seeing God move in him. But Peter was seeing God do some things he couldn't explain. And yet Peter had this other problem. His whole life was a paradox. In the midst of him healing people and becoming this incredibly just powerful instrument of the Spirit of God, he kept getting arrested. He kept getting arrested 
for sharing the good news about Jesus and proclaiming that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He kept being questioned and brought before the authorities and put in prison. So he's living in this world where he understands that God is doing something in me and through me, and he is taking control to heal people, but for some reason God won't take control and keep me from getting arrested. Maybe the promises are that God is in control instead of that God will always take control. Maybe the promises are different than what I hope they would be. They can't be that everything will be okay. They've got to be far better. And Peter says that he learns that our promise is in eternity. And in light of eternity, they're far more impactful in this world. So, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. If you have your Bibles or you got your app open there, if you're watching at home, hey, we'd love for you to just kind of open your Bible there. You can read along 1 Peter chapter 1, and this was written by Peter. Listen to what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says that our hope is not in something that we can't see. We have a living hope. Not, you know, most, when we talk about hope, we're talking about something that hasn't happened yet. If you're a high school student right now, some of you are like, I hope I pass this exam, this final exam. Come on, high school students, are we hoping that? Like I, like, I hope, I, I would suggest studying and not just go on hope, um, uh, right? Uh, we hope we win the ball game. I hope this date goes well. I hope this movie is good. I hope I get the job. I, I, all our hopes are something that, that is out there, that is in a future that does not yet exist yet. And Peter says, that's not what we have. We have, we have been given birth, we have been born into a living hope. Our hope is alive, and his name's Jesus. Like, that's our hope. And this was very real for Peter. He saw him. I mean, this was, Peter experienced it. He lived with Jesus for three years. He saw him die on the cross. He saw him go into a tomb. On the first Easter morning when the women came and told him and the other disciples that Jesus had resurrected, Peter sprinted to the tomb, saw an empty tomb, and shortly thereafter saw Jesus resurrected face-to-face in Galilee and touched his nail-scarred hands and spent 40 days with him and watched him ascend into the clouds. This was real for Peter. Peter's like, I've seen it with my own eyes. Now, I know what you're thinking. You think it's the same thing I am. Great for Peter. I haven't seen him. Peter's going to get to that. Listen to what he says, though. You have been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, fade. You have been given new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance. You have been born into a new family. You have been adopted. You have been adopted by God and you have been written into his will. Good news. 
You've been adopted into a new family, and God has written you into his will. He has prepared a place for you at the table. You now belong with God. Some people are saying, well, Peter, I'm not good enough. You don't know. Peter's like, it doesn't matter. You have been given new birth, not by what you did or what you have accomplished, but through the resurrection of Christ. Your inheritance is not because of what you have done or what you deserve. It is because of what Christ has done. So don't ever tell me that you're not good enough, that, that you've made too many mistakes, or man, Carter, you don't know what I did in my 20s, or you don't know what I did when I was 17, or you don't know how I was in my first marriage, or you don't know what I was like when I was addicted to this or that. Listen, it does not matter. You have been adopted. You have a new last name. And you have been written into the will of Almighty God. And this inheritance, well, it's, it's different than our inheritances. This is an inheritance that doesn't perish or spoil or fade. It doesn't rust or crack or deteriorate. It is incorruptible and inerodible. It does not follow. It is not under the rules of space and time and this world where Father Time is undefeated. Man, I got some stuff from my granddaddy, like some old ball caps. I've got one of his old suits. They're from like 1950, 1960. They're starting to get ratty. Because Father Time's undefeated. And Peter said, this inheritance, it's not like the inheritances you get here. It doesn't spoil, it doesn't fade, it doesn't rust, it can't be destroyed. Well, if that's true, then it must play by a different set of rules. Maybe it's in a completely different place. One that is incorruptible and unable to be tarnished. Peter says... This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This inheritance is not here. This unerodable and uncorruptible inheritance is being kept in heaven for believers so we have this living hope that Peter has seen with his own eyes and this hope in heaven that no one has ever seen. And no matter what happens, God is shielding this inheritance, protecting me, guarding us until the fullness of that gift will be revealed in the last times, in the last days, when it's all over, when it's all said and done. That does not mean... That, that we won't go through bad things in this world. I'm not shielding you from this world. I'm not protecting you from this world. I'm preparing you for another world. There's a better day. This is why we invite people to follow Jesus. Because I want everyone in Birmingham to know that there is always an open seat at the table of the Father. He's got more room in the mansion He's ready to adopt more children. We want people to know that there is a better day, a better answer, and nothing is going to destroy this, Peter says. He is protecting it. He is shielding you for it. And then he adds in the next verse, in all this, 
you greatly rejoice. Of course we do. Praise the Lord. Why wouldn't we rejoice? I mean, what a promise. We're all looking for something that will transcend this life and this world, but that doesn't mean that everything will be easy street. In fact, quite the contrary. Because if the promise prepared for us, if the inheritance is in heaven, well, what does that mean about earth? Listen to what he says. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while, for, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And here's just what I'm going to guess. Every person in this room and every person watching brought a little bit of their own suffering today. Some of you are suffering through grief, the loss of a loved one. Some of you suffering through some tension at work. Some of you are suffering through a broken relationship that you just can't seem to mend and heal. Some of you are suffering through a, a loved one who, who has turned their back on the faith. Some of you are suffering through financial difficulties. Some of you are suffering through a health prognosis. And Peter says, that, listen, I know that you're going to have had to suffer grief in all kinds. And these have come, he says. So that the proven genuineness of your faith, listen to this, of greater worth than gold, your faith is worth more than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It's as simple as this. This is what he says. If the promise is in heaven, there are problems on earth. If, there are, if the promise of God is in heaven, if the hope we cling to is in heaven, then you should probably be prepared for there to be problems on earth. There are going to be problems on earth like war and like disease and hurt and suffering. And these refine our faith, Peter says. They purge us of the frills. They cleanse us from faith and circumstances. Is your faith in circumstances? They empty us of faith in ourselves or success. They refine us like a fire. And can I just tell you something? I don't like this at all. Come on. Is anybody else? I mean, nobody wants to break into a cheer after reading that, right? I don't like this at all. Because I don't like suffering. I, I want the suffering to stop. Right? I, do, I don't want there to be suffering in Buffalo this morning. I want it to stop. I, I don't want there to be killing and hate and racism. I'm so tired of it. I just want it to stop. I, I just want the war in Ukraine to stop. I don't want these things to be true. I'm tired of suffering. I'm tired of people being hurting because of the suffering. I'm tired of us suffering over inflation and financial pinches. I don't, I don't want to go to Arby's and my double roast beef and fries and medium drink costs $10. I just want it to stop. But if the promise is in heaven, well, friends... 
There are going to be problems on earth. And one of the dangers is when we build our faith on this idea that God should do this or could do this and ought to act this way and that, and that if I just have enough faith then I'll get the guy or I'll get the girl or I'll get the job or I'll get the healing, then when God inevitably doesn't move on the way that we thought he should move, we deconstruct our faith because it didn't go the way that we thought it would. Too many Christians have become convinced of what God God could do what God should do and what God would do if they were God like heal someone from polio and if you build your life on a theological error it will break your faith will crumble you won't have to deconstruct it it'll fall apart itself that was never the promise in the first place. And here's what's so interesting about this. <laughs> Peter says that when we suffer and cling to the promise of what God has really given us, the sufficiency of God's unseen promise is made more prominent in our lives. All the other stuff is burned away and all we have left is Jesus. And this gives glory and praise to God because, listen, we have all known those people who in the face of suffering, in the face of cancer, in the face of bankruptcy, in the face of divorce, in the face, in the face of rejection, in the face of just unending hurt, have somehow clung to Jesus and their roots have gone deeper in faith. And when you see them, like you are sad for them, but the light of Jesus like shines through their eyes. Do you know those people like that? And when you know that, when you see those people, what do you say? Like, listen, that's real. That's faith. That's the real stuff. What gives God more glory? Someone who believes and is blessed or is someone who is suffering and still believes? Which one gives God more glory? Listen to how Peter closes it out for his first readers and for us. That if you have that kind of faith in the face of suffering, not having the experience that he had, right? The experience that he had, he touched Jesus' nail-scarred hands and watched him ascend into the clouds. He's like, I know all of you haven't done that. You have believed. You have gone through suffering. And I want, you to I want to tell you something about your faith and listen to what he says. And this is for us. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And I want to tell you something. It's hard to see him in Buffalo right now. It's hard to see him in Ukraine right now. It's hard to see him in our hurting world right now. But Peter says, though when you can't see him, you still believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, glorious joy, a joy that can only come from one promise and one place. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And when you get the promise right, and when I get the promise right and build our faith on that, it shows up on our faces. 
You want to know what the promise of God is in Jesus Christ? That through his death and resurrection, you have forgiveness, you have healing, you have victory over sin and death, and he has saved you from hell and damnation and eternity apart from God to heaven with Jesus alongside him as a brother and sister seated at the table beside your friends in Christ and your heavenly father. That's the promise. Build your life on that. Because I want to tell you something. Life will throw you some curveballs. But faith is believing God is good when life isn't. Peter says genuine, authentic, real deal faith is believing God is good when life isn't. And if you put your faith in the solid promises of what Jesus has actually given you, you can make it through anything, sister. Come on. You can make it through anything, brother. Faith is believing God is good. I wish I could promise you that everything's going to be a-okay. But I just want you to know life might chew you up and spit you out. This world is broken and messed up. And life might burn you down to the ground. It might refine you like a fire. It might wear you out and wear you thin. And if it grinds you up into nothing, and all that is left of you is just Jesus, I want you to know when it feels like life has won, I'm going to see a victory. Listen to this. Jesus has not promised you that he will defeat everything in this life. Our champion has promised that you will defeat everything in your death, even sin and death itself. Listen, that's some good news. Jesus has not promised that he will defeat everything in this life. Jesus has promised you that you will defeat everything in your death, even sin and death itself. So if life burns you down to the ground, if it chews you up and spits you out and there is nothing left and it thinks it's one, I just want to assure you that when the ashes clear, who will be standing there is your champion standing over your sin in a pile of mercy and grace and no one can ever change it. No one can ever change it. Faith is believing that God is good even when life isn't. Faith is believing that there is a better day even when this day flat out stinks. And faith is trusting that the champion of heaven of our souls has given us a promise beyond this world. And in the hurting of this life, that that promise is enough I want to pray Heavenly Father thank you for this promise that you have given us thank you for the love that you show us in Christ Jesus Lord forgive us when we build our lives on fabricated promises we wish that you fixed all the stuff down here Lord help us to remember speak to us today to say child Child, I fixed you. I fixed you.
I fixed your heart. I fixed your past. I fixed your mistakes. I fixed your soul. I fixed you. And Lord, we just want to tell you, if you never fix anything else, that's enough. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close our time here with a, a song that's new to us, and it, it has this confession in it that says, Lord, I, I was a criminal. We're all broken. We're all sinners. And when we come to the realization and lean into the promises, the truth of what he has given us, he has prepared a place for us, the greatest promise that gives us joy in this world is that there's a seat for us at a table that one day 